Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Good morning, Humanity Church. My name is Marla Neighbor. I am our Connections Pastor here at Humanity Church, and I get the honor of getting to be with you this morning. Let me pray for us so we can just dive right into this, baby. Man, Lord, I am so grateful that you come after us with a fierce love that is never-ending, has no cap on it, has no limit, no quota. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is unending. And you invite us into a conversation. And I know, Lord, I know that there are people in the sound of my voice who are attempting to earn it, who are in a different conversation that you are in. And so I ask, God, by your power alone, Lord, by your spirit alone, I invite you into this moment in time. We want to join in on the conversation that you are having, not the ones that we are entertaining in our minds that are the lies or the half-truths or the limited versions that give us such a small view of you, of the world, of each other, God. We, we need you to break past our own shame, our own doubts, our own failures, our own cynicism, our own apathy. And you can do that. That is nothing for you. Give us a willingness not to fight for anything except for surrender, Lord. Give us the willingness to surrender to the conversation that you are in with us today so that we can join in a relationship and a two-way conversation and watch as you transform our heart, transform our family's hearts, our friends, our coworkers. Nothing is beyond your power and no one is beyond your reach. This is the moment, Lord, We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've probably been in a conversation before where you think to yourself, is this person even hearing me? I mean, are we we having the same conversation? Both of you are talking. There's there's somewhat of a two-way interaction happening, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, are we even having the same conversation? We're just completely missing each other. And then there are other times where I'm the guilty party. 
for sure, often, actually. Or I walk away from a conversation thinking, that conversation was great, that was so good. And then my husband, Nathan, gently uh, brings to my attention that, well, do you think, you think the conversation was good because you were the one doing all the talking? <laughs> Woo! And then I think, oh, gosh, well, they were nodding their head. <laughs> was that a conversation? Did that count? Were we actually on the same page? Were we present together? Other times, I, 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 I swear, I think that there are like, you know how we put people in categories in our brain just to make sense of the world. I, I, I think there is a category of people who they literally don't, they don't, it's not their fault. Bless their heart. Like they don't pick up on the cues that, you're not in the conversation with them and the conversation is like a freight train and you're just getting run over it over over by the train <laughs> and here you are and you think maybe I just put a bobblehead in my place if it was like really realistic maybe they just keep going and never know that I was never actually here and a part of this conversation just missing each other in this conversation and I think that that happens more than I would like to admit honestly where there's not a presence of mind, a mindfulness of our brother and sister, where we're sharing in an experience, in a common experience, a common conversation, the same conversation where we're hearing each other, seeing each other in this moment. It's actually pretty rare. I found at times when I'm really listening, when I'm really present with someone, sometimes people get surprised. Like you'll see it on their faces like, oh, they're actually listening to me. That's nerve-wracking. <laughs> but I believe as a community that at times as a people, we're not only involved in these one-on-one -on -one interactions, but we're also having meta conversations. We're drawn into these group conversations, these like-minded conversations, be it your family, your school, your office, your ministry. There's nationwide conversations. There's these meta conversations that we, we join in on a collective and, and we get drawn towards the same things. And sometimes those conversations elevate who we are and what we're about. And at other times, those conversations draw us into our smaller version of ourselves. And God is always in a conversation with us, always ready, on the edge of his seat, just ready to pick up that conversation where he left off. And he's in one with you and me personally. It's unique to you, custom made. No one will ever have the same conversation that you are having or that he is attempting to have with you right now in this very instant. And that's going on all the time. Any moment, if you are breathing, he is in a conversation with you that he wants you to join in on. And at the same time, I believe, Humanity Church, that while there's many conversations that we take part in, that God invites us into, I believe that as a community, as a faith community, that God is actually inviting us into a common conversation at any given moment together. The scriptures talk about it like 
having the mind of Christ, that we would be one mind, one spirit, one heart in Christ. That's an astounding thing. I mean, if you're going to be aligned with some groupthink, that's the kind of groupthink you want to be a part of, where you're on mission, where you're clear, where God is directing our paths and having a similar conversation with all of us together about the same thing. And I almost missed the conversation today. I almost missed it. I have been in survival. As my four-year-old, when he really wants to make a point, he'll say, Mom, say, survival. Repeat after me. <laughs> I have been in survival. I am like, I just, I just have been. I've been going through the motions. I've been uh, trying to get by hour by hour. I've been uh, just trying to get the right corresponding shoes on my kids' feet and trying to get through what feels like 10 loads of laundry a week. And I have been in survival. And then I went to my humanity group on Tuesday. And uh, it was a total reset. It was a complete and total reset. And I actually became present to the conversation that God was in with me. And then I'm going to suggest that God is in with all of us as a faith community called Humanity Church. And that conversation might be one clear-minded vision and direction, but it has 175-plus different expressions, but it's still a singular focus. And in two weeks, as Juan mentioned and reminded us that we're going to be launching over at the Fox Theater. And even though we don't need, you know, we shouldn't need a move to like jumpstart, reset, do something, God uses those things, doesn't he? Like when he throws in like a, a, a little sidewinder there and it creates some actual literal movement, it creates some actual press in our community, it generates uh, the ability to like hear anew because it wakes you up out of the pattern, out of the defaults that we get in so much. So here's my question to us today is that if, if God were inviting us, humanity, globally for all who are watching and in the Pomona Valley, if he were inviting us into a common conversation, what is the conversation are we aware, am I aware of what the conversation is? If I'm not aware of it, what's getting in the way? If I were aware of it and I did something about it, what would it look like for us to have one singular conversation driving the heartbeat of this community and what we do as we scatter to our homes and our workplaces all throughout the area through the world as people are engaging in this conversation and online. What would people miss out on if we don't recognize the conversation that's at hand? But what would be possible if we were? And so this is me extending my best attempt 
of what I believe God is calling us into as a church, as humanity. What he's been putting on my heart, what I've been hearing from a lot of you, what I've been seeing, what I've been experiencing, what others have been experiencing, and I'm asking you to ask, to ask the question, is this the conversation that we're in? And I'd like to invite you into that in this moment to come about what you're hearing as well. But I believe that at this time that God is calling us into an unreasonable faith. That is the thing that I have been hearing over and over and over, that God is calling us into an unreasonable faith, not one that could be easily explained, not one that is reasonable. Do you know how much energy I spend every day trying to create boundaries, trying to create reasonable goals that I know I can attain, trying to create experiences where I'm like, oh, well, that's reasonable. I can do that. Uh, rather than engaging in the messy, all out, like fumbling our way towards life and love and Jesus, doing our best as we're missing it left and right, people all around us missing it left and right, trying to figure out what it looks like to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, screwing up all over the place but having so much grace, so much forgiveness, so much willingness to go again, so much go again spirit, that we would say yes to the unreasonable things that God is inviting into, whether that's in your home, whether that's the, the conversation you need to pick up with someone that you dropped out of and stopped zoning out, you started zoning out a long time ago, whether that's something radical I mean, you name it, unreasonable has many forms, but this is the conversation that I'm inviting you in to today that I believe God's having with us as well. And we're gonna unpack this unreasonable faith a little bit more through the last half of Acts chapter eight. That's where we're headed today, but I wanna give you a little backdrop and it's, it's actually, so Acts chapter eight is essentially focused on this, this guy named Philip. He wasn't uh, one of the apostles. He was actually the Philip who was like serving tables. So a nobody, like all the other greats in the scriptures, yet another nobody named Philip who God used in huge ways. And this, this backdrop of Acts 8, where Philip was in Samaria prior to this time, where God calls him to something new and unreasonable, uh, he, was, he was witnessing uh, the miraculous all around him, and he was also witnessing the miraculous and, and being a conduit for that miraculous with people's healings and turning to faith and finding Jesus in the middle of a lot of persecution. And unfortunately... Those two typically go hand in hand. The persecution and the great faith leaders, the great movement of Jesus, typically comes in the most unreasonable times where anyone should decide to engage. And it's easy for me to create a visual of this time because we're having it right now. And I know I talk about Afghanistan a lot because it's near and dear to my heart, but that. This backdrop at this time in Acts 8 is 
to, to the T exactly what is taking place right now all over the nation of Afghanistan, where believers are being hunted down, where people are going house to house to find them, women and men being thrown in prison, shot on the spot, stoned in the street, who are so clear and so steadfast in their faith. And they are surrendering their lives and they are seeing the miraculous take place. It is one of the largest movements for Jesus happening in our nation, in our world right now in Afghanistan. And that's the backdrop that we are joining in on with Philip. And he was alive during a time where the reasonable thing to do would be to hide, to go indoors, turn off the lights, get under the covers, bulk up on food, and never come out. That's the reasonable thing to do. But Philip did the opposite. And, you know, recently in my whole survival time, when people ask, how are you? How are you doing? I, I can honestly say, though, in the middle of all of it, I can say I feel alive. <laughs> like, I definitely don't feel like I'm coasting through life. I feel alive. I feel the low lows, and I feel the high highs, and there is something that happens in the middle of that movement that I'm inviting you all into a completely ridiculous and unreasonable request to live the kind of messy life where you don't have it together, but God is on the move. But usually what gets in the way is those of us who are in a perpetual busy season. Anyone in your busy season, again, for the thousandth time, <laughs> perpetual busy season that leaves no room for listening in that conversation. Or we shrink back because we have to figure it out ourselves first before we take risks. Or we're in so much survival, we're saying, well, I can't possibly add anything else, even though the anything else is the thing that we say is the everything to us. And we're just too wrapped up in our own conversation that we miss out on the one that God has for us. For a lot of us, I mean, let's just be honest. You know, the pandemic hit. I know we make lots of references to that, but it is a reality that when it hit, we were all gung-ho and eager and all about God and community. And then months passed, online was insane to try to engage in. And then somehow we look around and we're like, wait, what is that Sunday thing about what is that community thing about community groups? That's like a thing of the past. I remember when I thought about going to those one day. I remember when I went to those one time before. And now engaging in relationship, period, feels like an unreasonable request, let alone engaging in community groups. But here's the thing is that God is always ready to pick up the conversation where we left off, where he left off, always. If you are breathing, it is a breath away. It is a conversation. It is a instant away right now in, this, in your seat in this moment. He's ready to pick it back up, always with open arms. He's like an old friend that won't go away, who like knows you from the inside out and they can call all your stuff out. And they don't mind. They know you. 
and they're right there, ready to pick it back up when you are. So this is the unreasonable request that God made to Philip after he had all those experiences in Samaria, and now we pick up in this one verse in chapter 8, verse 26. God was very clear with Philip. He sent an angel. So now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, let's just stop there. We don't even have to go any further. This is already an unreasonable request. People are getting persecuted. They're scattering all throughout. And then he asked Philip to go down one of the most dangerous paths, desert road, alone, towards a direction, towards people who were known as being, the words all throughout the historian's records were despicable, despised, and mean. And he was asked to go down this road while his life is very much being threatened. It's a very unreasonable request of God. It was close to 100 miles that he was asking, like he, the initial request was from the point where he was to the point where he was headed, 100-mile road, in a time where followers of Jesus were being hunted down. Now, I can imagine about a marathon's distance in, maybe he's still got that faith going. You know, 23 miles in, he's like, man, those amazing things that just happened in Samaria. Like, yeah, there's crazy stuff taking place, but God was faithful. He, was, he showed up. I heard him clearly. This is where I'm going. I'm meant to do this then maybe mile 30, I'm going to give him to mile 30, at least for me. I'm thinking, I am hot. I am tired. I am thirsty. I am alone. Am I going to die on this road? Did I hear the Lord clearly? Is this really the direction he wants me to go? If I calculate the minutes right now in my mind, I could take a right turn and reach a city by nightfall instead of being out in the freezing cold by myself at night in this desert road. And God's unreasonable requests of him in that moment, of you, of me, are, are exactly that. They are a request. By definition, they are not a demand, which means you get an option. God is a gentleman you have the option to choose yes or no. I think it's very unreasonable for God to ask you in the middle of a very full, busy workday to halt what you are doing in that moment and be present with the person who just interrupted you that you know needs your attention. I think it's unreasonable for God to ask you to lay down your pride again to be the first one in the relationship, again, to be the one to ask forgiveness first. It's very unreasonable. I think it's unreasonable that God asks us to put our children's mind, heart, and spirit first, completely above our own needs when they are clearly daring us to lose our mind on them. I think it's unreasonable that God asks us to release that person from resentment in our hearts who stole something from us that we will never get back in the same way. So unreasonable. 
I think it's unreasonable for him to ask us to trust him and to go again in conversation with him when we've been hit sideways by life and we feel like we've been lied to. It's very unreasonable. I also think it's unreasonable for him to ask us to give up that dream that we've been holding so tight to, that we've been forcing our way forward with our own strength and competence, and he's asking us to give it up altogether for the bigger dream that he has that we can't possibly imagine. You know, when you are, when you're pressed, you learn things about yourself, don't you? When you're pressed to say yes to the things that are hard because they're the things that are right, it will create and it will force out of you a clarity, an urgency, a boldness, and a dependence that you wouldn't have had had you said no to that unreasonable request. And it also reveals what needs to come into the light. Wouldn't you want to know? I mean, that's a, good, that's a true question. Do you want to know what's lurking in you, the things that are getting between you and that common conversation with God? Do you, do you want to know if it is there? Because when we're pressed... Those things will come out real quick. That's a surefire answer to find out what needs to get cleaned out is to say yes to the things that press you the most, to enter into people's suffering with them and not dodge it, to really get honest about the anger that you're having where you can have that conversation with God. That's a conversation. That counts and see what comes out of it. There are all kinds of ways that we can press into those moments and see what comes into the light. But do you know what else comes into the light? The huge, amazing potential that God fills you with when you are connected to Christ. So when you get pressed in those unreasonable moments, when you make that phone call, when you reach out, when you ask for forgiveness, when you lay down your pride, when you no longer need to be right, when you make that huge sacrifice for someone or you give your time or energy or finances or you lay down your need to, to have it figured out before you go first, when you do that, God will not only reveal the things that he is gently cleaning out of you because that light, it's not a threat. It is an invitation and he will purify you. But at the same time, you will be amazed. You will be amazed at the beauty of the humanity that God put inside you that is capable of loving in a way you never knew that you could. That's gonna be the Christ in you that you see just as much as you see the cleaning coming out. It's in the unreasonable requests of God where we truly come alive. And I'm here to say that if you thought when you signed up with Jesus that he was a reasonable God, I'm just, I'm just gonna share with you now that you have been 
tricked or misinformed. He is not a reasonable God. But in the same way, he creates an unreasonably beautiful future that you could never have had otherwise. Picking back up in Acts 27, 8, 27 through 29. So Philip started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandaki, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now this this would have been the first moment, the first inclination on Philip's journey that brought any meaning to his obedience and the Lord's leading. At this point, he's like in the dark, like, why am I doing this? Why am I going down this desert road alone? And this is his first indication as to what God had in mind that he never could have foretold. And so he comes up and realizes that this Ethiopian not only is in search of God, but he has incredible influence. Now this guy comes from a country that again is described as despicable, despisable and mean. I can't remember all the bad words, but it's not a good place. And somehow word had traveled a few years prior to Ethiopia. And a few people here and there were starting to grab hold of it. We're starting to get curious. And of all the people he runs into, it's this guy who has a huge amount of influence, who works alongside in the household directly with this Queen Candace of Ethiopia, who is known to be the successor of Queen of Sheba. She's a big deal, a big freaking deal. And this is the guy that he runs into. And sometimes God is asking us to do things that we're trying to figure out the whole time. God, what do you have in this for me? What, what is the beautiful thing that you're unfolding here for myself? Sometimes it ain't about you. Sometimes it ain't about you. Sometimes it is about other people, others. And in this moment, it was about this Ethiopian man. And it was about the massive influence, not only for him personally, God never stops with one, but all the people that his life would in turn impact as a result of this one act of obedience on Philip's part to listen to God in this unreasonable moment. You know, one of Jesus's, the last words of Jesus before he left, it's recorded in Matthew. You want to pay attention to what people say before they die. It's important, especially when they know they're dying or they know they're leaving, I should say, forever. You want to pay attention to their last words. So as followers of Jesus, these words should matter a great deal to us about what Jesus shared before he ascended back into heaven. And he told his disciples, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples, baptize, and teach them what I taught you. And we have a, we love in Christian culture to put the emphasis on being a disciple rather than making disciples. He didn't say go and be a disciple. He said go and make disciples. 
Do a little self-check. Where are you at in that? It's not, it's not a wag my finger. It's a, whoa, our Savior and Lord called us into making disciples. Did I miss that instruction? Making disciples. I think as we are making disciples, we are becoming disciples. I'm not putting, uh, putting down like any um, active pursuit whatsoever that we would each individually engage in to become more near to Jesus. I'm just saying that if you're missing the making part, then you're missing a whole lot of the Jesus part too. And that he creates in us a heart for him, for his people. It, that is his heartbeat. And that's what he's calling us into. And that's where the joy comes from. Because as you look at the scriptures connected to Philip and the other apostles, disciples, as they're scattered about, every time it ends with, and there was much rejoicing and the city was overwhelmed with great joy. I mean, there is, there is joy. There is, in my mind, in my own experience, no greater joy than to watch someone experience the joy of Christ for the first time and then watch them go and share and have others experience that same joy. That, that's what you get out of a lot of what God calls us into. It may not be practical at times. It may not be the form that you want it in, but it's a joy that is, eclipses all other things. And now the Ethiopian is about to find out the meaning for his long journey as well. So back in verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Okay, now... You thought Philip's journey was long, this Ethiopian guy. This is like going from here in Pomona, California, the journey he took to Jerusalem to go and worship and find out who the heck this, this, this religion is all about was about a month long journey by walking from here to Houston, Texas. That's the journey. And they didn't have paved roads like we do. And this is... This is something that he was at least curious enough in to go on this huge, crazy journey, like probably life-threatening. I can't imagine. I wouldn't want to be on a chariot for a month-long journey back then. And here he was. He was in the center of it all. He went to Jerusalem to go find out where to worship. And then he leaves the place, the very place that was filled with apostles, meaning people who did life with Jesus right there and masses and masses of people who were coming to know Jesus and here he was in the middle of it and he left not knowing Jesus. It's interesting. Like went all that way, all that effort, all that time, all that risk for this month-long journey to get to a city to find out about this God of Israel, and then leave not having answers. Now, I don't know what got in the way. It doesn't tell us. But I know what gets in the way for all of us, humans, where we make these 
gestures at faith, these like feeble, half-hearted attempts. And in some cases, like in the case of him, sometimes even grand gestures where we find ourselves then surrounded. And let's not kid ourselves, we are surrounded by resources, by invitations, by people, by access to information, by experiences that we could, we could have any given hour of every day if you chose it. And yet we still walk away without our answers to our questions about who this God is. And the only thing that comes to my mind are, did he not have the guts to ask? Was he afraid of the answer he would find out? Did he feel like what he found was enough and he didn't really want to investigate it further? Was he content with where he was at? What got in the way for him? I don't know, but what gets in the way for you? What gets in the way for you going all in? unreasonable depths with our community, with your family, with making disciples, with sharing your faith, with living out the thing that you say matters most to you? What gets in the way for you? That's a question for us. You know, I think that for most people, we're just content. We're just content. Let's just call it for what it is. Like, we're just content where we're at, even if where we're at is terrible. It's just our predictable contentedness. And I think that a lot of us, some of us are still very young. I don't include myself in that anymore. I'm like edging my way out slowly. Um, But some of us have numbed out that voice when we were younger or when we met Jesus for the first time, where we had this insatiable, unreasonable desire, where we weren't trying to figure things out. We weren't trying to like play junior high dance where we're like, who goes first in this dynamic? But we were like back in kindergarten, like, you want to be my friend? Like just daring to get connected with the joy that we first got invited into for those of us who know that joy. And we start to numb out and we tell ourselves that it's good until we can't anymore. Until our body says no for us, physically our body starts breaking down or mentally we, our mind starts to glitch over the misalignment between what we know on the inside and say is our deepest values, but doesn't match up with our actions and with our words and with our follow through and our brain starts glitching for us because we aren't picking up on the conversation God's in or our relationships start crashing or our relationships just become as dull and as predictable as the faith that we've encapsulated it in. And then we ask ourselves, why is this all there is? Isn't there something more? And this is the good news. That usually we jump out of that 
when a move happens or, or when do, life does hit us sideways and there is a death or there's something terrible that happens or we're in an identity crisis and then we come searching again for that conversation. And that's okay. God is right there. <laughs> he's right there. And he's ready to pick the conversation up, not with um, demanding an explanation about where you've been, but he's ready to pick it up with the love of a father that if you could feel it completely, you, you wouldn't be able to breathe because his love is so personal and so intense. He will always find us. He's already always ready to pick it up where we left off. And Isaiah 53, where the Ethiopian man was reading, was exactly where God picked up the conversation, where he left off. God refused to let him leave on his huge dramatic journey without an answer to what he came for. God picked up the conversation with the very question that he had. We've got to wake up to the miraculous that is all around us. It is all around us. God's presence is always ready to make you alive in an instant. If we knew the tapestry of details that God weaves together, the people he brings into our lives. I've tried many times just out of fun, out of like a, almost like a crossword puzzle exercise, just take that. I've tried the exercise of piecing together all the ways that God has woven things, relationships, moments, experiences, even the tragic ones that were not from him that he turned into good, that I now am who I am because of those moments that he restored and redeemed and those moments that he integrated together in a way that I could have never planned. If we saw the full network of the tapestry of how God has woven things together for the whole universe to be in your favor, you would be overwhelmed with his love and intentionality. Acts 31, picking back up, 831. How can I, he said, how can I, how can I understand what I'm reading unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. This is the Isaiah 53 passage I was referring to. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, speaking of the Messiah. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, I just want to hit on this real quick because I wish we had more time, but do you understand what you are reading was the question that Philip asked him. And it says there's so many times in scripture where Jesus talked about this, where people had access to his words, whether in the moment, verbally or written, that the prophets had handed over to him about foretelling about Jesus himself 700 years prior to that very given moment where Jesus walked the earth. And some heard, but they didn't hear 
they weren't in the conversation. They missed it. They missed the conversation that God was in. And it didn't matter that they had the words right in front of them because God's spirit has to be the one to wake us up to what is in front of us. And he will do that for anyone who asks. If you are reading scripture and you're like, I do not know what the heck this is talking about. I hear people talk about these things all the time. I hear this verse over and over and over again. What does it mean? Ask him. By his spirit, he will reveal it. And it just happened to be that this guy, that God cared enough that he would reroute Philip's entire plans to go down this road just for him, just so he could hear through Philip what was alive and well right in front of him. We had this this amazing gal who was a part of our community a few years back, and she had a a rough background and... um, just really loved her, and she was all in, except she just didn't understand. And, and we were good with that. We are like, girl, like, you're here. You're in it. Like, Jesus will show up. Just stick around. Just keep, keep searching. Keep asking. Keep in it. She went home one afternoon after Nathan, my husband, had preached some sermon on just the basic, simple gospel of Jesus. She goes and sits at her kitchen table, opens up her Bible to John 3, 16, the passage we, many of us have known well or seen, at least on a, on a signpost uh, driving somewhere that said that God, for so, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. She read it and asked Jesus to give her the ability to understand it. And she had an encounter with Jesus in that moment that she has been pointing back to for seven years since because it revolutionized her heart. And for those of us familiar with the scriptures who know what that experience is like, it is alive and active and it will transform you and the conversation you're in. If you're having trouble hearing God's conversation, the scriptures, man, they are the way, they are the pathway to life in that. We can't emote or think our way into understanding Jesus. It is a relationship. It is a conversation that he's inviting us into. And then he asked, so who is the prophet talking about? And this is, this is the thing that we all have to ask ourselves, is who is this man, Jesus? We know for a fact, historically, that he existed. We know, undisputed. Faith historians or not, doesn't matter. The man did miracles. The man raised people from the dead. The man died on a cross. I mean, there is just undeniable evidence. So then you have to ask yourself, what do I do with that? Who is this man, Jesus? And if he did all of those things and claimed he was God, was he who he said he was? Or was he some insane person running around claiming, claiming to be God while he was doing these miracles, or he was just a straight-up liar. Who was Jesus, and who is he to you? We all have to ask ourselves that question. All right, wrapping up. 
Final verses, Acts 8, 36. As they traveled along the road and they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Who, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Urgency, he was compelled. There was no trying to figure it out. It just, when Jesus grabs hold of your heart, I mean, there is like no stopping you. And that is something that is available to those of us who have known Jesus five minutes or 50 years, that there is always an option to reopen that conversation and that joy and that urgency to go step into unreasonable actions that connect with him. 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I'm not even gonna touch that with a 10-foot pole. He basically got teleported to a different city. God called him down the road to Gaza. He meets the Ethiopian eunuch on his way. He fulfills his purpose. He comes out of the water and he literally disappears and is found soon after walking around Azotus preaching the gospel. I could do a whole other thing on that, y'all. Space and time. God, it, God's got it all. <laughs> but... He went on rejoicing because he got what he came for. God picked up the conversation with him and he joined in. And then this final verse, I want you to, a couple of scriptures I want you to hear from Isaiah 52. This is right before, he had, the Ethiopian guy had just read these words before he got to Isaiah 53 in the next chapter when Philip joined him. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, this is still talking about Jesus, the coming Messiah, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, that's a reference to baptism, he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. This guy was part of a fulfillment of a prophecy, one of many, that he would be baptized and that he would be a voice that would reach an entire nation of Ethiopia. He's reading about himself and he didn't even know that he was a part of the conversation that God had planned hundreds of years prior to that moment. God is in a conversation with you, with me, that is so personal. And it's a story that has already been written. It's a story that has already ended in victory. It's a story and a conversation that requires so much surrender, but so much joy in the process. And after this, when Juan's gonna come up and close us out, we're gonna have a handful of folks in the back. I think we've got four folks, myself included. There's five of us that are gonna be spread out. And I'm asking that you not let this moment pass. That if you want this to be the day 
where Jesus wakes your spirit up to the joy and to the unreasonable future that he has for you, this is the time. Don't miss the conversation. Not deciding is also a decision and he has open arms for you. And those of you who have been around for a while and you are desperate for a new conversation in your life, in your family's life, this is also your time. Please reach out. Do the unreasonable, do the unthinkable and go to another human being who just wants to pray over you and encourage you and invite you into a bigger conversation that God's already having with you anyways. Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you for your voice. Thank you that you are always reaching for us. Thank you that no one is beyond your reach. Open our ears and our eyes to what you are doing in us and through us and all around us. Lord, we don't want to miss you. Invite us, Humanity Church, into an unprecedented, unreasonable, reckless faith that goes after the one, that reaches for the one that trusts you to fill in the gaps every time we miss it, Lord. That's what you do best, and we invite you into this space with us as a community in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.